to The Good News Show. This is Peter Timothy Cooper broadcasting to you from Liverpool. And this week we have an interesting show for you with various issues brought up in the news and from listeners. And we're going to be looking at them in order. I say we, but it's just me, James Myers, the other regular contributor here. As many of you will know, you regular listeners will know, is a worship leader and musician. And he's off doing music leading and worship related things at the moment uh, he'll be back next week but for now you've just got me so please pray for me guys as i go through a few of the issues that have come up in the christian world this week well first of all i want to talk about an interesting phenomenon that's been happening people dressing up as zombies now i i think people have also been dressing up as ghosts and other scary things but zombies is the main one that's been popular across the world there are certain things that get popular on and get spread around the internet aren't there that you know the the idea of pouring iced water over yourself um uh, to give money for ch- to charity uh, apparently you gave more if you didn't in the ice book if if you didn't use the water in, as in the ice bucket challenge and the other things that get popular and this particular one filming uh, yourself or your mates filming you dressed up as a zombie scaring people is an interesting one but in the videos that i've seen we see you see people being actually scared more out of shock because as you see you see the reaction. First of all, they're scared, run away. Then they look back and they're not scared. They see, if it was, it is a bit of a scam. So are they scared? You know, are they really believing that it's a zombie? Or is it just the shock dead? And this got me thinking about the idea of a zombie and other sort of horror film tropes like uh, vampires and werewolves and frankenstein's monsters and all these things that are featured in horror films Uh, another one would be uh, people being demon possessed and when they're demon possessed being able to crawl at walls and turn the heads around uh, 360 degrees i mean where these all these things these ideas of the supernatural scary ideas of the supernatural have become embedded, it seems, in our in our consciousness, in in the culture, in the zeitgeist, and people see them as being almost real. In fact, do they see them as being real? Was that why they were so scared when they saw a zombie in the street? Would they have been as scared if it were just someone you know, who who was hideously disfigured and walking along? They wouldn't, would they? It was because they saw him as being one of the undead. Whereas the fact is, of course, that zombies and demon-possessed people who can crawl up walls and turn their head 360 degrees, I mean, demons are real, uh, but they're under the power of Jesus. But they are real, but demon-possessed people in the way shown in movies aren't real, and werewolves aren't real, and these things just are not real let me tell you a, a story about my childhood as some people who i knew at school uh, used to like to go and play out uh, in the woods and i went along with them and what they used to like to do in the woods was go around on their bikes and shoot up and down uh, on the hills and do sort of fancy turns we uh, things like bmx bikes didn't exist in my youth but we, we could have bikes that could sort of do that sort of thing. Not as well, but you could do some tricks on them. And I went cycling with them uh, a couple of times on these hills. And then we had to get back from the woods. And the 
Drake's journey was through the graveyard. Now, I always thought, well, it's a, it's a graveyard, so it's got dead people in it, and dead people aren't scary because they can't hurt you because they're, what's it called? Oh, yeah, they're dead. <laughs> I remember when I suggested to my friends going through the graveyard to get home, they just would not go through. So I went first, and uh, I was walking through. On that occasion, for some reason, I remember I didn't, I didn't have my bike, although uh, some of the others did. And I walked through, and as I walked through, I heard this blood-curdling scream. No, not of a zombie or of a dead person coming back to life, and screaming and clawing up through the floor from the graves. No, 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 no. This was my friend's screaming past me as fast as they could because they wanted to get through as quickly as possible so that the ghosts wouldn't get them. They were so scared and ran the way through. And the other loud sound that you heard was my laughter. I thought it was absolutely hilarious. These guys seemed to be scared of nothing, but they were scared of ghosts, which were nothing. Go figure. And why wasn't I scared of these things? Well, the graveyard was simply, to me, the garden of my church. You know, there are advantages to being a Christian. There have been reports recently of a reservoir of water found under the earth, in fact, in the earth's mantle. And the question has been asked, does this discovery of water under the earth support the account in Genesis of the creation of the earth and of Noah's flood? Certainly, there's a, a blog called Questioning Answers in Genesis, which questions Answers in Genesis. And Answers in Genesis are a young earth creationist organisation, so a Christian ministry, which seek to show that the, that the account in Genesis is literally true and is supported by science. But they take their authority from what's written in the Bible, and then see what evidence there is from science to show that science should support it. But they take their authority from the Bible. Now, this uh, blog, Questioning Answers in Genesis, questions what they say about the science. But interestingly, as they look at this uh, reservoir of water and look at the science behind it, they try to show that this doesn't answer the question of where the water goes after the flood in the account of Noah. Now, although this is mentioned, for example, by the Institute for Creation Research, it's mentioned as an inference from the fact that there's this reservoir of water that can come and go from uh, underneath the earth in the mantle. This is not the main point that is made in the creationist literature. The main point that's made is that this discovery supports two things. One is the water is stored in large quantities under the earth, which supports the creation account as well as the start of the flood. And the other thing is that the way that the water is stored within the crystalline structure of the rock in the mantle shows that there has been a catastrophe, at least one massive catastrophe, maybe like a giant flood. So it's not then using it to describe what happened to the water after the flood necessarily, but the, the fact that there was a worldwide catastrophic flood.
the rock that's been discovered to store water it actually isn't storing the water as water as as a liquid it's being stored chemically within the rock as as hydrogen and oxygen the rock is called ringwoodite and it, it due to its crystalline structure it's able, uh, able to hold between one and two times its own weight in water but if you take into account the volume of of this zone with this rock in it in the in the mantle it's at least as much water stored in there as there is in all of the world's oceans that's about 1.4 times 10 to the 21 kilograms of water so this uh, storage of water within the rock could be part of the source uh, for what's described in Genesis chapter 7 um, verses 11 onwards when a huge volume of water is, is brought out from the earth to form the flood as well as the flood great floodgates of heaven opening when it rains for the first time in the flood and submerges the entire globe in water. Now, for some time, it's been believed that the rock that the mantle is made up of was made of a form of rock that couldn't, because of its crystalline structure, have held much water. This type of rock is called olivine. Now, the ringwood eye rock can contain water, but this form of rock, the ringwood eye rock, will transform into the crystalline structure of something like olivine, which can't contain water uh, that, into that structure, under the effects of massive heat. And so it's a tremendous discovery to have found ringwoodite have been blasted up nearer to the surface. How did it happen? Why didn't it then revert to the olivine form, uh, having been blasted up under great heat? Well, the only way would be if it happened too quickly for it to have changed due to the heat. Now, that gives an interesting uh, picture into what it was like at the time of the flood, if this was involved in the flood. Because if that's, if that's the case, then it would mean that huge volcanic um, explosions could well have been responsible for the releasing of the water from deep down in the earth. Certainly, it supports the view that there was a massive cataclysm releasing water at some point in the past that happened very quickly. Maybe a bit like this. On the seventh day of the month, on the same day, all the fountains of the great deep burst open and the floodgates of the sky were open. Now here at The Good News Show, we're not saying that you need to believe in a literal word-for-word interpretation of the creation and flood accounts in Genesis in order to be a Christian. But we are saying that it's interesting how current science does seem to fit in quite neatly with such a view. Atheists have been putting up posters challenging the Christian view of Christmas. One of such poster on a billboard says, Dear Santa, all I want for Christmas is to skip church. I'm too old for fairy tales. It's put up by the American Atheists National Convention, encouraging people not to go to church 
at Christmas. It's interesting, but as leader of a church, I find that there's a burgeoning of numbers of people attending church at Christmas and to a lesser extent as at Easter. And although it's lovely to have visitors, a lot of them are there just for traditional reasons. And to this extent, I would agree with the atheist campaign. I would say if you're just going there for tradition, then don't bother. You know, it's a time of worship is to worship a God who is very real, who cares about you and is in charge of the whole world. And if that's not something that you believe in, then don't come. It's true anyway, by which I mean God is real and all all the stuff about Christianity remains true, whether you come to church or not. So coming and dis- coming to church and pretending to be a Christian for a day is just... A little bit hypocritical, isn't it? So if that is the case, then I would say, unless you're actually interested in learning more about Christianity, just don't bother, don't go. But if you do want to find out more, instead of going at Christmas, go at another time of year. Find out what people are worshipping like in their regular services in the rest of the year. Go at a time when it's less busy, so you get a chance to ask the preacher some questions. Go at a different time but not at Christmas. What are your views on that? Send me a tweet at TGNS UK with the good news show in Britain at TGNS UK. Always interested in your views. However, I was struck by the irony of the content of this poster put there, uh, saying, I don't believe in fairy tales. All I want for Christmas is to skip church I'm too old for fairy tales. And there's a, a picture of what looks like a, a young girl in a Father Christmas hat writing to a letter, as if she's writing a letter to Santa to say that she doesn't believe in fairy tales anymore. And this from the American Atheists Association. Now, now I'm going to go out to limb here and say that most, most atheists are actually naturalists um, th- this is pretty much what i found that if you ask an, a- an atheist or the, an atheist produces literature about their, what they believe you find that they're a naturalist that they do not believe that there's a god or anything that's supernatural unless it's physical can be measured with um, physical me- physical instruments it's not real and this means that in order to explain how the universe came into being they have to assume that something came from nothing and in order to explain how life came into being they have to assume that life came from non-life an impossibility an impossibility that was disproved by louis pasteur many years ago in his uh, scientific experiment the famous one being the swan necked flask experiment which showed that life that appeared to be just generating spontaneously actually came from somewhere else it was life that had already been created and these living organisms in the air were what were creating the new life and it wasn't spontaneously being being created at all and as to believing that something came from nothing that's also a scientific impossibility the way that uh, atheistic scientists get around this is to redefine the word nothing by saying that at the start of the universe uh, it started out of out of nothing but this nothing but that this nothing actually was fluctuations in some sort of energy field now one thing that an energy field is is it is something 
and therefore it is not nothing. Nothing is no thing. It's the absence of anything. And so all that scientists uh, who are atheists do in, in suggesting that there's, there's some sort of uh, field with fluctuations in from which everything came into being is they're pushing back the beginning of the universe in time, but they're not changing the difficulty of how does something come from nothing without there being a supernatural entity which created everything. Believing that everything came from nothing. Believing that life came from inanimate objects. This is the stuff of fairy tales. I'm too old for that sort of thing. If you head over to the website markandpete.com, you'll gain access to a couple of blogs which have entries in them that I wrote recently. One's in the Mark and Pete blog and one's in Pete's blog. You'll, you'll see how to get there if you go to the website. And the two articles I wrote were about being fit and being fat. There's a problem with obesity in Britain and in America and in other places in the world and it's costing the economy of the countries where there are so many obese people a lot of money. It has a, a huge impact in, uh, on the world GDP. 30% of the world's population are overweight or obese. Overweight is a less extreme form of being obese, measured from the body mass index, which is the, which is the mass in kilograms divided by the height in meters squared. If you've got a body mass of over 25, then you're overweight. If it's over 30, then you're obese. Recent research done by the World Health Organization has shown that smoking and armed violence are first and second in their effect, their health effect on the, uh, on the world GDP. But in third place is obesity. It's a problem in Britain, in America, it's a problem in the world. But a question I was asked recently was this. Is it right for a Christian to be fat? Is it right for a Christian to be fat or, or should Christians keep fit? Well, certainly the Bible teaches that we are to regard our bodies as temples of the Holy Spirit. So we should look after it. And in fact, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says we are God's masterpiece. So again... We should look after, look after it. God has designed the human body so it can do amazing things. As I report in my blog article, we, uh, a human body can run over 40,000 miles in a lifetime. My heart, I'm 49 years old, has beat, beaten about 2 trillion times over during my life. It's an amazing miracle. We should look after it. And just piling on the pounds in being weak and just eating because we happen to feel like it, because it feels nice. It, it, it's just being abusive to our bodies, which are gifts from God. And Paul equates the Christian life to running a race. And certainly spiritually, that's true. But we can see the spiritual aspects of looking after our body, have a certain level of discipline and self-control, one of the fruits of the Spirit. And Paul's using this analogy of athletics to show what a faithful Christian life is like. 
And by the way that analogies work, it needs him to view athletics to, as being good, not as important as spiritual exercise, but still a good thing to do. And Paul says as much in 1 Timothy chapter 4, beginning verse 7, and I quote, Spend your time and energy in training yourself for spiritual fitness. Physical exercise has some value, but spiritual exercise is much more important, for it promises a reward in both this life and the next. It's good. It's beneficial, physical exercise, being physically fit. Not as important as being spiritually fit, but still important. And my response to this, well, I get up a bit early, go for a little run in the morning, and I'm trying to cut down on food apart from fruit and sipping it a water between meals. What's your response? And what do you think of mine? Well, that's it for the Good News Show for this week. Remember to subscribe for more episodes coming up soon. But for now, it's blessings from us. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.